When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to another edition of the programme, hoping we find everybody in good form today. And if you're a fan of James Joyce and Ulysses and all of that, can I wish you a very happy Bloomsday. John Paul is back taking your calls today along with Sadie, 1850 333103. Anything you want to share with us, as always, we love to hear from you. I can already see some of your commentary coming in about the formation of a new government and there is lots and lots in the papers today about what is looking like is going to be our new government. Two Taoiseach are set to lead the country through the lifetime of the next government. Now they won't do it at the same time obviously. It'll be for the first time ever in the history of the state the office of Taoiseach will be rotated between two party uh, leaders and it is also in a way bringing an end to over 100 years of civil war politics. Four months after the general election, a landmark agreement was signed off by the leaders of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Green parties. The parties have agreed on what is uh, seen as a radical programme for government. It makes notable commitments on climate change, on housing and on transport. And certainly from what I've been reading about it, it really has a green stamp all over it. Uh, last night, Micheál Martin was in touching distance of becoming Taoiseach, but he has to first convince his party membership to back the deal. If he finally gets elected Taoiseach, he will then hold the position until December of 2022. Then he'll pass the mantle uh, back over to Leo Varadkar and he'll take over and he'll have the second stretch uh, during the lifetime of this government. That's if it lasts the full five years. Leo Varadkar is set to become Taunashtha for now, uh, but the office, we're told, will be given increased powers and increased functions. They're not forgetting about Eamon Ryan, the leader of the Greens. He will have a new office within the Department of the Taoiseach and it'll give him oversight of the government's decision-making process. Now, support for Fine Gael and Leo Varadkar has risen spectacularly 
since the general election back in uh, February. It's signalling a positive public response, uh, obviously, to his handling of the coronavirus uh, crisis. However, there is an indifferent view on the proposed Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil Green Party coalition. It's according to a new poll, uh, which is the Ipsos MRBI for the Irish Times. It's published in the Irish Times today. The three leaders all make major concessions and they all, all have had to make major concession, concessions in order to sign off on this programme for government. Leo Varadkar gave in on Fine Gael's demand that the state pension age rises to 67 next year after Micheál Martin insisted the hike should be stopped. So as of now, it looks like if we do have a government formation, uh, the, the pension age will remain at 66, where it is at the moment. We were only talking about this yesterday when I was giving the dates of anybody who was going to reach 67 from, or was going to reach 66 from the 1st of January next. They were going to miss out on a year of the state pension, but it looks like that's now going to be put on hold Thanks to Micheál Martin and in fairness, the Fianna Fáil party was one of the main issues that they campaigned on in the run up to the general election. They kept saying if we get into power, we will leave the pension age at 66. We will not increase it to 67. So it looks like Micheál Martin certainly had a win on that one. But definitely it was a concession for Leo Varadkar. Yesterday, Leo Varadkar said the decision to defer the increase will cost. The cost will be four hundred million euro. However, Fine Gael did secure a commitment that the next government will will cut uh, income tax if the economy begins to improve. And that was despite resistance from other parties. The Green Party had to drop its demand on banning imported goods from Israeli-occupied ter- territories. But Eamon Ryan did secure a significant increase in carbon tax. And this is the one that's going to affect everyone. Carbon tax will now go up by €100 Euro per tonne by 2030. So the plan is it'll be an annual increase of €7.50 Euro per tonne uh, over the next 10 years. The money raised from that tax will be ring-fenced into a €9.5 billion Euro fund for climate action measures. There are also going to be major commitments on um, uh, ending direct provision, but the ending of direct provision is going to be over the lifetime of the next uh, government. Now, Fianna Fáil leader and the Taoiseach in waiting, Micheál Martin, has had to face down unrest within his own party over going into power with Fianna Gael and the Greens, but he has insisted the country needs a government. It needs a government now. And that's why he's agreed to go into government with Fine Gael and with the Greens. Uh, Micheál Martin made his comments as his former deputy leader, Eamon O'Queeve. And there's a group of 50 councillors. They've come out in opposition to the deal and they say they have a thousand party members who are also sharing their view. Eamon O'Keefe says anyone who cares about the Irish language, anyone who cares about the Gaeltacht, anyone who cares about the islands should vote against the programme for government agreed between the three parties. Uh, But in an interview in this morning's Irish Examiner, Micheál Martin says my core message to members is that Fianna Fáil is at its best when it is in government. But overall, the message to the party is that it's a necessity to form a government with a sizeable majority. He said, we have to put the country first. And when he was asked about becoming the first 
Cork Taoiseach since Jack Lynch that's if the parties do manage to approve the deal he says I am hopeful that that will materialise because he said Jack Lynch is a boyhood hero of mine and actually our senior news reporter uh, Fiona Corcoran went and spoke to locals in Ballinlock about how they would feel about having a Taoiseach in their neighbourhood and they also she also asked if they felt that Micheál Martin as Taoiseach would be good for Cork and here's what some of the people in Ballinlock yesterday had to say. I suppose it's a good thing. <laughs> I don't think it really matters. I think uh, the most important thing is that the Taoiseach is good in itself for the whole country, not just for one area. So uh, let's hope he does a good job for everyone. It's grand. He used to go up to the, to the Christmas Mass just up there, so rented the same Christmas Mass as the Taoiseach. Well, it's always good to have a Taoiseach, like. Yeah. Head of the country. It's not going to do bad things for, for, for the area anyway. Mightn't do anything good, but it certainly won't do anything bad. Oh, I think it's fantastic. Like, it's great to have a local person, you know, um, who's going to be the leader of the government, which is amazing. Even the prestige of it alone, like, you know, and, and you know, Cork is such a fantastic place and it's a great place to live and all that. I hope we'll just reinforce all that, really. <laughs> but um, it would just be really exciting to have a Taoiseach here, like, you know, from this parish. It'd be amazing. Well, I've always voted for him, to be honest. I think, I think he's the right man for the job. And good luck to him. I, I don't think it'll particularly benefit Cork because um, he can't be seen to be biased to his to his own county, like our city. But uh, it'll just be good to put us on the map, I suppose. You think he'll do a good job? I do. Yeah, I've I've voted for him before, and I think he's the right man for the job. No, I don't dislike Veradcar either, but I just think it's time for a change. I think he's a lot of experience in politics. He's been minister in a lot of different areas, and I just think. I, I personal experience with dealt with him, you know, in some uh, situations that I needed help with, and he's always been more than helpful, you know. I'm thrilled for him, really. He's, you know, he's been around a while, and uh, it's good for the area. So happy about it. I know Leo came on there as being marvelous with the COVID-19 and all that. He kind of won hats over again or won votes over. But at the same time, um, yeah. People around here, the Hall Martins are a man. <laughs> sure, Jack Lynch was loved as well. He was loved in Cork, so, you know, it's, it's, it's different. We need something down this way. We need people. We need more and more people in, in power to be down this, this area. Uh, some lovely comments there. Thank you to Fiona Corcoran for heading out to Ballinlock yesterday and people in that area I think very, very proud of their own Micheál Martin who had now is a Taoiseach in waiting. Okay, some of your thoughts already coming in on this and on the formation of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens and how you feel about them in uh, power. Tom and Fomoy says I cannot see this government lasting long term. Micheál Martin may become Taoiseach but he won't be Taoiseach for long. I can't see them all agreeing uh, with the Greens forever on various issues. So it won't be a very stable government according to Tom. While Lawrence in Mitchellstown says the Greens in government will not work long term as they don't seem to understand what life is like in rural areas. We can't hop on a bike and cycle to work or or jump on a train to get to work. No one's objecting to using public transport in rural Ireland but we can't object. We simply don't have the facilities in order to use public transport. Uh, 
Council can't see it working. Texas says, Patricia, the Greens are a luxury that we can't afford at the moment, especially when you remember them the last time they were in government. They targeted all of their money towards big farmers and there was nothing done for the small family farmer. Many went out of business. They were broke. Uh, The EU rules more of the same, only worse. Would not be a fan uh, there. A listener, not a fan of the Greens in uh, government. And then Michael says, Patricia, hi, according to the Irish Times, one third of the voters would prefer another election, which is a significant figure in the middle of a pandemic. I think that the programme for government will be carried by all the parties. We most certainly will wish the new government the very best of luck in extremely changing times and such tight numbers, especially with three of the green TDs already firing a warning shot by abstaining. Yeah, I thought that was interesting yesterday. Great credit is due to the negotiating teams. It wasn't it wasn't easy and it certainly could not have been easy. And I think it explains one of the reasons why it has taken the negotiating teams so long to even get to this stage. And I was up to each of the three parties to get it passed and get it over the next uh, hurdle. So the Greens I think is going to, it will probably be one of the toughest ones because they, their the rules and regulations around them, we were talking about this yesterday, the Greens have to have a two-thirds majority of their members in order to get it through and already with three of their TDs abstaining, you assume if they're abstaining they weren't happy with what's in the programme for government and will that be reflected back down to the Green Party members on the ground only time will tell so the next few weeks will be uh, interesting we'll speak later on in this hour actually to our political editor Sean Defoe just to get his take on it but uh, your thoughts and comments welcome to 1850 Sadie and John Paul taking the calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed it's Tom in Rathgormac on rotating Taoiseach. He said, Reverend Bob Micheál Martin becoming Taoiseach, I cannot believe that we will have Leo Varadkar back again in two years. We voted to uh, get him out. But if, it's, if you want an interesting read this morning, Tom, I suggest you pick up the Irish Times. They have an Ipsos MRBI uh, survey showing just how popular Leo Varadkar is at the moment and probably one of his highest uh, popularity certainly since the last election but that, that I'm, I'm assuming has got a lot to do with the way he and the government have handled the coronavirus uh, crisis. Now the opposition parties and the smaller parties even though I can't say the smaller parties because one of them is uh, Sinn Féin which is one of the largest parties after the last uh, election they're all coming out to get put, throwing in their top and safety worth about this programme for government. A government led by Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil does not represent the change that people voted for. And that's a quote from the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou Macdonald. She claims the agreement was an attempt to deny change, to protect the status quo and to continue with the same broken policies that have so badly failed workers and uh, families. The Labour leader, Alan Kelly, claimed the programme for government failed to grasp the potential to dramatically improve healthcare, education, childcare and housing in the midst of a global pandemic that had shown the essential role of the state in providing public services. Now he did welcome the environmental concessions made to the Green Party but claimed the document was full of rebranded 
and repackaged commitments which la- with language that was left deliberately vague. And then the Social Democrats uh, co-leader Roisin Shortall, she said the programme has a lot of good aspirations but she says there's no indication of any timelines are indeed any indication as to how it's going to be funded. And that was the one that I was most interested in yesterday when I was reading through it, trying to find out how all of this was going to be funded. Because on one hand, they were saying there wasn't going to be an increase in taxes and we weren't going to go down the road of austerity. And yet, you know, you had had a lot of really good aspirations in it, but it hasn't been funded. and And they've come out and said they deliberately haven't funded or costed it. And surely when they sit down or when the civil servants sit down to do the costing and the funding, will it be, well, it's a great idea, but actually, folks, sorry, we don't have the money to do it, but I suppose only time will tell on that. And then Rise TD, Paul Murphy, he claimed the programme for government was a trap for the Green Party. He argued that it contained vague talk of change to lure the Greens in to a green mudguard for austerity. And that's a quote from Paul Murphy, as I say, just some of the thoughts of the other parties not involved in negotiations of the forming of a government. 1850-333-103 and I want to just quickly go back to yesterday just to answer a query that came in from a listener yesterday who contacted us to see had anybody else found themselves in the same situation. This listener had a winning scratch card with €5 on a match three and another €5 Euro on a three matching symbols. But the shop couldn't cash it. And they said that she needed to go back to the shop where she brought it in. She wasn't sure why. She thought she could cash in lottery winning tickets or scratch cards. She thought she could do it uh, um, anywhere. Well, Annabelle in Castletown Roach is a lady in the know. She says scratch cards can be cashed in at any post office. She said sometimes what happens is a scratch card may not have been activated at the shop before being sold but the post office can sort it out for you and actually somebody else said the same thing and it's a simple mistake uh, another shop owner said it's a simple mistake doesn't happen very often but it can sometimes happen that the card isn't activated but, but the problem that our listener had was she was unsure and maybe she got the scratch cards as a gift she was unsure where the cards were actually bought so if if you go back into any post office they'll be able to reactivate the cards for you and they'll be able to more importantly give you back your 10 euro win 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your course text to WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now yesterday residents in nursing homes were able to receive visits from family members for the first time since restrictions aimed at curbing the spread of COVID-19 were imposed three months ago. So to find out how nursing homes are getting on I'm joined by Tyke Daly, Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland. Good morning to you Tyke. Good morning Patricia. Did you get reports? I'm very well thank you. Did you get reports on how day one went yesterday for some of the nursing homes? Yeah, absolutely and it's all very, very positive, thankfully. Uh, a lot of reports from our members but a lot of reports from families as well and we had some emails into our office this morning and last evening from families really delighted at, at how things have, have, have panned out. Um, so it looked as an important day. Uh, you and I have spoken before about the, the heavy heart in terms of imposing visitor restrictions but obviously the, the um, public health advice have to be followed very closely. So no, all very, very good but Still very early stages, I suppose, from your listener's point of view, it's important to remember that this is, this is a phased reintroduction. Unfortunately, it's not business as usual uh, and probably won't be for a while. So people need to be patient, uh, need to be understanding, both of 
their relatives and indeed of all the staff and, and, and people who work in the sector. OK, to talk through how, how, it, how, it's, how it's working. Firstly, I'm assuming it's only nursing homes that are COVID-19 free, is it, that That's are accepting right. visitors? Yeah, in, in effect, the, 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 the Health Protection Surveillance uh, Centre uh, gave us some guidance on the, uh, I think it was the 6th or 7th of, of June. Um, so yes, there's, there's two groups really uh, visiting in a, in a centre without, with no ongoing COVID outbreak. Uh, is obviously much more um, facilitative than uh, those with a COVID outbreak. In in effect, those with a COVID outbreak, it's like the uh, restrictions that were announced initially, it's only for end-of-life care ultimately. Okay, then, so when people get to visit their loved one, social distancing, there's still no hugging or anything like that going on? No, absolutely not, unfortunately. Um, So, in, in essence, I suppose, what we need to do is ensure that it's, it's only two named people. Okay. Uh, it has to be booked, obviously, in advance. The idea of just, as I say, arriving at the nursing home unannounced is not appropriate. So no, uh, no unplanned visits. No unplanned visits. At okay. All, absolutely, because we do need to ensure that there, uh, as it says in the in the guidance, that there wouldn't be large numbers at any given time. So what nursing homes are doing now is they're actually scheduling and booking in visits at predetermined times. Okay. Um, so that you can manage the, the flow of people and also have the staff ready to ensure that when when people are um, are coming, that they're met by an appropriate staff member and that they undergo all the measures such as hand washing, uh, that they're informed of coughing etiquette. But we would have, have as our organisation, we would have given people a, a survey or a questionnaire to fill out in advance. Because again, if someone has symptoms, uh, then obviously it's not appropriate that they would visit a nursing home. Uh, and on arrival as well, obviously there's temperature checking as well and they have to sign into the facility. Um, so there's quite, I suppose... I won't call them strict, but I suppose there is a process there that has to be done. It's very different. It's very different. It is. And if you're booking... I understand that. uh, Yeah, and listen, everybody, when they're... While people are so anxious to get to see their loved ones, nobody wants to bring bring coronavirus into the nursing home where their much-loved mother or father or granny is. So, I mean, I think everyone will abide by the rules. But the fact that you're saying you you, you book your time slot almost for for your visit, there's a limit then on the slot, is there? On the visiting? On the visit? Yeah. There is. I mean, and again, it, it, it varies from nursing home to nursing home. Uh, some, you know, it's a bit like the old hospital rules almost, you know, visiting between 11 and 1 and, and 4 and 6 almost. So uh, it varies from nursing home to nursing home. But yes, we are. Uh, because again, from nursing home's point of view, if it's between certain hours, they can obviously have extra cleaning staff and extra uh, staff on at that particular time to facilitate uh, a positive experience for, for everybody. So it does, it is tightly controlled but for obvious reasons. Okay, Elizabeth wants to know why are no children under the age of 16 allowed to visit a nursing home? Yeah, that, I mean, again, I've been asked that in the last couple of days and that's based on public health advice. Uh, and the public health advice, as I understand it, was primarily because I suppose they're conscious that younger uh, people might be a bit more active and maybe running around the facility. Uh, not all, mind you, uh, but that's the advice from public health and that may change over time. Yeah. Uh, but that is the, the strict advice at this point in time. I mean, the other thing that it says is that, you know, no food our refreshments are, are, are being brought in. Um, that's a that's, change, isn't it, for a lot of places? It is, absolutely, yeah. No, I know that some members are saying, well, if you bring something in, look, we'll keep it for, you know, two or three days uh, in a room um, and, uh, I suppose, decontaminate, for the want of a better word, if someone is bringing maybe an item of clothing yeah. uh, for somebody. So I think what I'm saying to people ultimately is engage. Like The, the listeners will know that they'll know the people who work in the nursing home, the owners and managers and the senior staff there. So if people have any particular concerns, you know, talk to the staff members and find out, uh, you know, what's best for your family member to ensure that that, that the right 
uh, and appropriate measures are taken at, at that particular at that particular time. Yeah, because next Sunday is Father's Day, and traditionally yeah. that would be those kind of days: Father's Day, Mother's Day. They're they're normally very busy days at nursing homes. They are absolutely, and I, I know that a lot of members will have, uh, I suppose, plans in place for Father's Day to ensure that. Uh, as many as people as possible can visit but unfortunately you know given the spread of COVID still in the community uh, you know as I say it, it is not not business as usual um, so we'll be asking for people's forbearance over the next while as we, as we uh, I suppose managed uh, the the, uh, the phased return of, of normality but it will take it will take some time it will okay. take some and time. Techno- technology has played a great role it's been a lot of FaceTimes and Zooms and Skype Absolutely. calls which is it's great I mean you it know is. it's not the same but at least you get to see your loved one no look it'll, it'll never be the same we all know that uh, but it has it has helped significantly and hopefully the fine weather I mean it has been good for the last while uh, hopefully now we're coming into traditional summer months uh, if we had fine weather, I know people are using outdoor outdoor areas again because that minimises the risk of, of, of the spread of the virus. Um, so people are being very, very creative. Um, you know, some people have marquees in the grounds. Mm. Others have, have um, you know, the facility whereby no one physically comes into the home and the resident doesn't physically leave the home, but they can still have, you know, as close as possible a visit as, as is appropriate. So there will be a variety of, of measures, I suppose, over time. And again, we'll learn from each other. Yeah. We'll be learning as to what works in one area and we'll be sharing uh, that information, sharing that best practice. And we'd also like to hear from families as well in terms of what works for them. You know, like each resident is individual. Families have individual needs and, and desires. And it's important that we try and accommodate that as best as we can. But clearly, the we have to be very, very vigilant. And as I say, people would fully acknowledge that. And while it has been hard on family members, uh, Ty, not being able to visit uh, loved ones, it's been particularly difficult on the residents, hasn't it, not having those visitors? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I can only imagine. And I know from talking to, to, to members and, and to staff in the nursing homes how difficult they, had, they have found it because they're acting, I suppose, in well, not quite local parentis, but they, they are, you know, dealing with, with the residents every day of the week and trying to reassure them. Um, and that is a very, very challenging time for residents, there's no doubt, because, you know, they are they're concerned as well. They live, you know, they see the news, they hear the, ra- they hear yeah, the radio, yeah. uh, they, they, listen, they, read the, they read the newspaper. So it is concerning for everybody. Like we've, we've entered, you know, thankfully we're out of the worst of the pandemic now. Um, but the challenge for us all is to ensure that we don't go back to where we were and that we move very, very gingerly, very carefully. Uh, in, in what is a kind of a, a new world order, if you like. But it has been very challenging for residents. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And any talks of retesting residents and staff at all of our nursing homes, Tyke? Yeah, in terms of staff, yeah, that, again, that was announced and I believe that's going to begin from next Monday. So Great. what's agreed, yeah, under the uh, European Centre uh, for Disease Control, they made a recommendation back on the 19th of May, would you believe? And uh, that would concord with our recommendation is that there should be a weekly programme of testing. Yeah. Uh, that's going to start next week for a period of four weeks and then that will dictate I suppose what happens after that if you like uh, because the levels of of uh, negatives is actually quite high thankfully it's on the 99% as I understand yeah, it yeah. so we do have to monitor that and clearly if if, if staff members uh, test positive in a particular facility as I understand it then what will happen is that the residents and then will then be subsequently uh, tested also um, so there is capacity within the, the, the National Virus Laboratory and within the HSE, as you know, for 100,000 tests a week. Mm. There's nowhere near that at the moment. So, what, but as I understand it and from talking to the HPSC and the HSE, what they're now looking at is targeting 
that capacity within the testing system to ensure it's targeted at the right places. And obviously, uh, residential care, nursing homes, disability centres uh, will be at, at the top of that list, unfortunately. And turnaround of test results is much quicker now, isn't it, than what it was? It is, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Because we need that as well from the point of view of discharge from hospitals. I mean, there are some people now in hospital uh, whose acute phase of care will be over and who will now need or require nursing home care. Yeah. So they, they will require to be tested, obviously, as well. We are a little bit concerned because what we're hearing is that uh, they're saying it's a, it, it is that the tests will be turned around in 72 hours. Now, you know, that's still, you know, three days. We would argue that that should be a, a maximum of 24 hours where possible. Um so, yeah, you know, it, it will be challenging for the next while as nursing homes open their doors again, both to, re- to residents or to, to visitors, rather, uh, and also new residents. But uh, testing, as you say, is absolutely critical uh, in terms of uh, identifying, breaking that, tra- that chain of transmission uh, and isolating cases where they arise. Because we've also made recommendations. If there is a spike uh, in a particular region, then nursing homes should be informed and the community at large should be informed so that everybody can take appropriate measures to control and contain the virus in in, in, a, in as localised a way as possible. Yeah, okay, well said. Okay, we'll talk again, Tig, in the meantime. Thank you for that. Thanks, and, uh, thanks. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye, Tig uh, Daly there, Chief Executive of uh, Nursing Homes uh, Ireland. Good to hear that the staff within nursing homes have been tested. I mean, I felt at the when they got to the stage where they tested everyone in the nursing homes, to me, as soon as that was done and everyone, everyone both residents and staff have been tested, I would have started the testing all over again and keep the testing going. The key to this is to identify any case of COVID-19 isolate, contact trace anyone that person uh, was with and that's the way we will contain it. And actually I was talking with, I have a sister-in-law living in Australia and she has, she has young children including uh, a little one who is only 18 months who in Australia are doing really, really well with controlling coronavirus but my sister-in-law was telling me that the little one was gone, went into crash and had a bit of a runny nose or a runny nose developed while she was in crest. So she immediately got a phone call, come and pick up your child, uh, take her straight to the doctor. She, the, the little one was tested there and then for COVID-19. The entire family then were told to remain at home until the test results, self-isolate at home until the test results. And within a number of hours, they got a phone call to say, no, it isn't COVID-19. It's obviously just some kind of a, a cold that she has. But I just thought, my goodness, how quick they were to act in case it was a case of COVID-19 it was going to be identified and identified immediately and obviously you could contact trace and lock down you know the family would go into isolation anyone that the child had been in contact uh, with I would love to see a situation that we get to that level of testing here in this country we can only dream 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comments 086 Now the process of selling the programme for government to members of the Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and Green parties all began in earnest today. Late last night the parliamentary parties gave the go-ahead to the document ahead of member votes over the next week and a half. Sean Defoe is our political uh, correspondent and he joins me. Good morning to you Sean. Good morning. Uh, you're welcome. Now where do you believe the strongest support for this deal will come from? I think that within Fianna Fáil is probably the party that will pass it. Most certainly there is a keenness to get into government after quite a long time. 
out of it. But also there's, there's lots in the deal uh, that they can take and point to. They can point to uh, housing, actually getting a deal on affordable housing and on the land development agency. They can point to other bits that they uh, can get a win on. But I just don't see as much vociferous opposition there as seems to be in some elements of the party. Granted, there are at local levels quite a bit of concern about doing business with Fine Gael. There are some in the party who want to or would have preferred to have been talking to insane through this process rather than the old civil war enemy. And they're going to have to decide now, well, look, is, is, is going in with Fine Gael worth being in government, worth getting X, Y and Z done in the programme for government uh, or not? But I think ultimately they will pass it. Where does he, does Micheál Martin have to worry about Eamon O'Keefe and if these 50 councillors and they reckon they've got a thousand party members share in their view? Well, already there was a bit of question over the, the 50 councillors. There um, have Eamon O'Keeve and John McGuinness were quoted on that website and I think both of them have said they've been taken a little bit out of context. Both of them certainly weren't as vociferously against the deal at last night's parliamentary party meeting as many expected them to be kind of assessing the real politics. So they probably will oppose it, but didn't put out the suggestion that they were going to lead some sort of a massive revolt to, to try and get the deal um, cancelled. I know Thomas Byrne was on the radio this morning saying that he's seen Russian bots retweeting this Fair Future website and uh, wondering where it's actually coming from, that he knows some of the councillors who are on the list who aren't uh, against the deal at all. So there's a little bit of question over this. There will no doubt be opposition. But I think the opposition is more rooted in the idea of going in with Fine Gael than the actual programme for government. government. How, how, how hard a sell will it be for the Greens? Uh, a difficult sell, definitely. The difficult, the most difficulty is going to come for the Greens. and um, 67% they need to approve it. An interesting one last night where they had their parliamentary party meeting, but three of the TDs voting on it abstained. The rest all voted in favour, those three being Patrick Costello, who also abstained on the vote of, of whether to enter negotiations, and Nessa Hurgan, who was one of the people who negotiated the deal and, and abstained on it, and the other being um, Francis Noel Duffy, who was the husband of the deputy leader, Catherine Martin. Now, Catherine Martin put out her own statement last night, said she was supporting the deal and it's the best achievable in the circumstances that if they go into government, the Greens have to be careful that they actually get it achieved and get it over the line and are able to, to get the support of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. There are some within the party who are wondering this morning whether uh, her husband abstaining on the vote is, is a sign that she isn't fully behind it and mm. has to say it publicly because she was negotiating. Um, but we, we don't know the detail of that yet. What's going to be very interesting basically is who from those negotiating teams is briefing who and whether her, if Catherine Mark's support is fully behind the deal and she does go out and campaigns for it, I think there's a good chance of getting it passed. If not, then, uh, then it could be in, in more difficult waters. And for Fine Gael, will they find it easy to pass? I think I think they will. Fine Gael have a very different structure to the others. It's not one member, one vote like the other two parties. Heavily weighted towards the parliamentary party who were very much in favour of it last night with the exception of pretty much Justin Michael Ring who, um, again, his, his point was more against Fianna Fáil than against the actual deal saying that Eamon Ryan and Micheál Martin were in the government that brought the Troika to Ireland and we, we shouldn't be doing business with them and it'll be the end of the party and, and various things like that. The um, national executive has another, I think, 10 or 15% of the vote and they'll all approve it. So I think already there you can see where Fine Gael They're going to be okay. And they've yeah. got to be, uh, and Neil Radker in particular, has got to be a happy bunny this morning with that poll is out from Irish Times, Ipsos, uh, Emma, Emma BI. Massive bounce for Fine Gael. Uh, absolutely huge. It has Fine Gael up 17 points to 37% by and far the largest in the country. Sinn Féin second on 25 and bad news for Fianna Fáil down 9 points to just 14%. They're only down to 2 percentage points ahead of the Greens who are on 12. And in terms of uh, Leo Varadkar's personal satisfaction rating is up 45% to 75 
or up 45 points to 75 percent and the support for the government is up to 72 percent which i'm told is the second highest level it's been in the last 40 years the only time it's been higher being right after the good friday agreement so it is historical levels um, of support after their handling of COVID-19 and no doubt there's a few in Senegal wondering God what if we just waited a little longer on pulling that trigger on the election <laughs> uh, So but it, it is all pointing in. if the Greens could get it across the line it's now pointing to Micheál Martin becoming the next Taoiseach and therefore he won't go down in history as the only feet of all leader never to have held that title Exactly if they pass it he, he will be Taoiseach by the end of the month now it's an interesting one because the date that he is meant to give up the Taoiseachship and rotate over to Leo Varadkar is the 15th of December 2022. And if that happened, if he became the leader, say, on the 28th or 29th of this month, then he would uh, be the shortest serving Taoiseach ever, ah. but still be Taoiseach. He ah. would be uh, about 15 days short of John Bruton's record of 924 days, which no one quite had the heart to raise them yesterday, obviously, to let him have his <laughs> moment. But it is an interesting uh, fact. In the which middle. political anorak came up with that? I, I couldn't possibly know. <laughs> <laughs> so he, if, if, if so, Mihal then is Taoiseach, uh, Leo Varadkar then is Tornish, is it? Leo Varadkar will become the Tornish, yeah, and then they would, um, well, they would in theory switch to the leader of Mina Fall becoming the Tornish. If Mihal stays on, that will obviously be him. If there is a change of leadership at the time, that would be them, and then the, the Green Party leader, whoever that is, Eamon Ryan or Catherine Martin, will, um, will stay as kind of the, the third wheel in the cog. And it's an office within the office of the Taoiseach for Eamon Ryan. Yeah, so this is one of the interesting ones, and it's one that there is a bit of concern about in Fine Gael because Michael Martin is famous for having a very tight circle, and he has his, his advisors, George uh, Galana and Pat McPartland, and a very tight group of people that he uh, considers confidants to the point of where there are sometimes, I think even on his very famous speech, um, when he came out in favour of uh, repealing the Eighth Amendment, there were TDs of his sitting near him in the door who did not know what he was going to say or which side he was going to come down on. And that expressed a bit of concern in Fine Gael, wondering, well, if he's the Taoiseach, are we going to be treated the same and be left out of the loop of the, the highest office? So the way they've seemingly gotten around that is that the both the Taunashta and the leader of the Green Party will have their own offices within the Department of the Taoiseach and their own people working in there, and there will be a cabinet subcommittee of the three leaders to basically thrash out any big disputes or anything that needs to be sorted out over the lifetime of the government, and you, you can be sure that there will be plenty with the three, these three parties involved. If you were a gambling man, uh, Sean, what odds would you give on the government lasting the full five years? Oh, not not very strong odds. No, but that said, we have we said that about the government in 2016, and, and here we are, uh, what four years later yeah, after that. Yeah. I think this. I think it does definitely have the potential to go four years. I think we can get up to. In fact, Bertie Hearn was on the radio this morning predicting autumn 2024 for the next general election, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad shout. I think we we could get that far, and that, that's when the tensions start to emerge. I think once you go into an election cycle with these two parties uh, being such old enemies, trying to separate from each other within a government, it, it could pr- produce a lot of tension and we could see an election round then. But they have to get to that point first and have to get into government for, for that to happen. Timothy, one of our listeners says, how does Sean see the ministerial portfolios being carved up across the three parties? It's an interesting one and one that we don't know yet because the, the leaders were kind of leaving that until last. I think certainly what you'll see is probably is splitting of the Department of Finance again to give both Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath a job in the kind of old finance and public expenditure roles that Michael Noonan and Brendan Howland had. I think that the talk is that Leo Varadkar, when he's taunched to, will take 
a beefed up uh, department of business to include uh, a bit more of the economy and you know getting the country back on its feet after COVID. I think the big there'll definitely be a new housing minister possibly going to Fianna Fáil and maybe Dara O'Brien or Barry Cowan being mentioned there. Health is one of the big ones. Speculation that Simon Harris will be left in, although Stephen Donnelly of Fianna Fáil uh, is very gung-ho for it. And then I think one of the really interesting ones to watch will be justice because traditionally it's a very uh, Fine Gael portfolio, party of law and order, as they've always styled themselves. They've had it for the last nine years. And Yet you have Jim O'Callaghan of Fianna Fáil, who very much would like to be the Justice Minister, and yet is out of favour with Micheál Martin at the moment because everyone is talking about him as his replacement. So that uh, that one could tell a lot. But we're going to have to wait and see. There is uh, a bit of a carve-up to be done. I think the Department of Children will lose its ministerial position, and that's going to be merged in somewhere else. Talk of a Department of Higher Education as a standalone. Um, but we, we have to see first. They're going to have six seats each, and again, Fianna Fáil, and three for the Greens. The Greens probably looking at the both the climate and the transport portfolios, which may even be merged into one. So a lot of speculation going on yet, but we, we mightn't even know until the, the day that the Taoiseach is elected and all these ministers get called into the corridor in the convention hmm. centre, I assume, is where it's, where it's going to be now. And the timeline for that is? So it looks as though there's going to be kind of a super Friday of uh, results in the votes from the parties on Friday the 26th. That's where they're all going to come back and they're all going to try and announce them at around the same time to see if they pass the deal. If it does get passed through the three parties, more than likely there's going to be a Saturday sitting at the Dáil to elect a new Taoiseach. And that night you'll have all the ministers appointed and the Shannon will, uh, nominees will be made to formally constitute the Shannon because by the Monday they need to have passed, Monday the 29th they need to have passed the Offences Against the State Act to renew the provisions around the Supreme Court and some other Garda measures, which does need to be done. So it looks so uh, a possible emergency weekend sitting at the Dáil to get this up and running. OK, another few weeks before before we're there and cross the line. Listen, Sean, pleasure as always. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, uh, good morning to you. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Sean Defoe, our political editor. Tim says, in his new and enhanced role, will Eamon Ryan have a shed for the best-known bicycle in Ireland? And Tim also wonders, where is his laptop when he's cycling to and from work? There's very important work to be done in trying to form a government. Uh, where, where does he put his laptop? Uh, 1850 at 333 Sadie and John Paul are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 Some of your thoughts still coming in about the formation of a new government which has now gone to the political parties to decide uh, if uh, they're all in favour of it. Not everybody, I have to say, is in favour of it. Let me give you some of your thoughts coming in. Uh, listener says, why, this is Tim, sorry Tim, thank you for putting your name in your text. Why can't Mary Lou MacDonald get the Social Democrats, the Independents, Labour, Greens and the People Before Profit together and agree on a programme for government. We have been hearing that everyone is out of step except Sinn Féin and there is something wrong with everything proposed by Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil but we hear no realistic proposal from Sinn Féin and the left says uh, Tim. While Tony Indomamwe is a member of Fianna Fáil in his area, he's kind of annoyed about this programme for government and about the very idea of Fianna Fáil going into power. He said they gave, this is Fianna Fáil, gave a pre-election promise that they would not enter into a coalition with Fianna Gael or with Sinn Féin. And now they're entering into a coalition with Fianna Gael. The issue of a rotating Taoiseach, says Tony, he feels it's a childish suggestion. He also feels as Sinn Féin won the election, they should go into power with other left-wing parties. He's saying 
backing up what Tim has just said and see how they do. But he says, I do think it's wrong for Fianna Fáil to go into power at this time. We're not high in the polls, so why go into uh, government? And certainly looking at the Irish Times, Ipsos said MRBI poll out this morning, it certainly doesn't make for good news from a polling point of view for Fianna Fáil. They were down nine points to 14% and it actually puts them just... uh, the Sinn Féin remains unchanged at 25. Yeah, Fianna Fáil is just two points higher than the Greens who went up by four in this poll on 14. But it is the it is the figure for Fianna Gael is the one. The satisfaction rating for the outgoing government is up 51 points to 72. And I don't know if I have ever seen that happen in an opinion poll that any government party would go up by 51 percent. It's uh, 51 points. It's a, a staggering, staggering figure and it has been called the COVID bounce for Fine Gael in case you are interested. But anyway, there's Tim, member of Fianna Fáil, not happy about what the Fianna Fáil party are doing. Michael says, Patricia, the Sinn Féin party will keep huffing and puffing as they are past masters at that. Does Mary Lou and her merry band of deputies not realise that Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens got over 50% of the vote in the last election? And according to our country's constitution, it is the prerogative of the party with the most seats to form a government, not the party with the most votes. But again, the Sinn Féin party, Michael Fields, does not recognise our constitution they seem to have their own it's high time now that they put our country first and face the reality that we face here in this country yeah and goodness I don't know I have admiration for any government going into power when you look at what they are facing when you look at everything that's happening with COVID-19 and we're in the middle of a pandemic and how much COVID-19 has cost this uh, country I tell you, it's going to be a tough, tough ask. Whoever is going to be in government for the next five years, for sure. And somebody in Limerick says the Greens have no TD or councillor in Kerry, yet they were allowed by Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to whip out 550 jobs in the Shannon Estuary. This will cost seats in the next election for both parties in Kerry and also here in West Limerick, says a listener who I assume not a fan of the Greens going into uh, power. OK, that's some of your thoughts and comments coming in. Keep them coming, 1850 in Charleville wonders will the M20 go ahead under this government as the Greens were against the M20 Cork to Limerick motorway will this be wiped out hopefully not it's needed motorways to link to link every city and Cork and Limerick the fastest growing but we have no network between them even the train doesn't run into Limerick City but it was a, it was a rail wasn't it it was a rail link was what the Greens were actually proposing got on to Twitter to at C103 Cork not sure it will bring any benefit Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil are so similar neither will deliver the change that people want it it's more of the same old same old on the way Anthony Douglas says I feel after this government Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael will merge and the parties will be no more following this uh, election uh, well only time will tell OK some of your thoughts coming in thank you for that 1850 there are power outages by the way ESB networks are working this morning on electricity outages in Torelton New McCroom and in Ballinagree also hearing of power outages in the Kildare area and I know there was a big power outage in Mallow Town yesterday as well and I'm assuming that's to do with all the thunder and lightning activity that we've been having over the last few days and the 
that we are due to have again today. Okay, on other issues coming in on the programme outside of the formation of a new government, Derek in Castellines is on about the country returning to normality and coming out of restrictions and what Ireland is going to look like post-COVID-19. He said the amount of people that are wishing and hoping and praying that dancing will come back sooner rather than later. It's the social dances that go on in our local hotels and uh, halls. Derek said, I know once the restrictions are lifted uh, fully, these dances will return. But he wonders, as long as social distancing is still in place, will the dances ever return? So he says, to those dancers out there looking forward to the 10th of August when they expect the dancers to return, he said, I wouldn't be getting too excited. As he says, he can't see dancing returning or any of the venues reopening. We're just going to have to wait. Well, it was one of the issues when we discussed what hotels were going to look like. Remember we did that last week? We took a look at what they what what a visit to a hotel and a stay in a hotel will look at and we touched on weddings now in fairness to the hotels when it comes to weddings they're going on the board falter recommendations for weddings they're still waiting on clarification from the government and from Neffet we know there's a lot of talk going on this week about social distancing before the hospitality industry opens up at the end of the month and in particular the two metre social distancing should that be reduced to one metre social distancing for restaurants and also obviously for hotels and when it comes to weddings, etc. We still don't know how many people, for example, can attend weddings when we're allowing weddings back up and running. But the big one, when I was going through the the Fall to Ireland guidelines to the hospitality industry was um, the wet, the section under weddings and the social distancing and having to adhere to social distancing at the meal. And you think, OK, in a large venue, you can get around that. You can spread out the tables and all that. But then when it came to the dance, the the wedding dance, the what some people see is the best part of the day. They were saying that the hotel staff would have to ensure that there was social distancing. You know, how can you, are you going to, what are you going to have a staff member walking around a dance floor saying you're too close together there, lads, would you move apart a little bit? And sorry now, Auntie Mary and Uncle Johnny, you, you can't be dancing like that. You need to stay two metres apart. I just don't know if it can work. And based on that, I, you know, I think I would have to uh, agree. I don't like agreeing because I know a lot of people can't wait for the social dances to return. And it is so many people's social outlet on a weekly basis but I think I, I'm kind of with Derek and Castle Lyons on this I don't know are we going to see those venues reopen until we have a vaccine in place and we are a long long way off for sure having a vaccine also coming in to us on oh this is on nursing homes okay thank you to a listener to, who sent this in saying um, hi Patricia just a message on nursing homes my mother works in a nursing home where they've managed to keep COVID-19 out which is absolutely fantastic on their behalf and there is many a nursing home like them who hardly get the recognition that they should for doing this great work and you're absolutely right there are nursing homes that literally have gone gone above and beyond to make sure that COVID-19 does not darken their door and they do need to be recognised you are you are right and I know we've been talking about clusters 
of COVID-19 in nursing homes. But we forget the majority of nursing homes have managed to keep coronavirus out and, and the staff, the owners and the staff and the, the people in charge, you're right, they do need to be recognised. Anyway, the sister says on testing, I think that it is ridiculous as now residents can have visitors who haven't been tested for COVID-19 and also they have people into the nursing home who are carrying out services like say electrical work or plumbing work that needs to be done throughout the home, any kind of maintenance, they can come in without any kind of testing whatsoever. The test is hard enough without having to go through this process every week and then a staff member might not even be at fault for bringing it in. Uh, Thank you for allowing me to uh, rant. And Ty Daly was saying that that is the plan, that I think it's from next week, every staff member in a nursing home will be tested every week. Uh, And then obviously if that person tests positive, Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Then they'll isolate everybody else. Um, they'll test other people that that person would have been in contact uh, with. And from anyone I've spoken to or interviewed on this programme about the actual test, it does sound like a very, very uncomfortable test. Whatever about the swab going down the back of your throat and if you've got a gag reflex, I imagine that must be pretty difficult. But for me, it's the swab that has to go up your nose and right into the back of your nose. I have a a very good um, friend of mine who works in a nursing home and when she was tested, I was talking to her later on that day and she felt her nose was still uncomfortable later on that evening. She thought it was the most horrible experience but she knew that it had to be done and now we're going to be asking people in nursing homes to do that every single week so that that is uh, tough and it is a good point that this listener make other this listener makes other people could bring it in even though I think on, on the visitors they're going to be really really strict on the visitors and certainly watching on TV last night on day one of the visits some of the nursing homes have like they a window between the visitor and 
there was a one woman was visiting her parents. It was her mum and dad were both in a nursing home uh, together. I think they were a dementia patient. It was it was such a lovely scene. Two of them were sitting there holding their hand. I couldn't really understand it. You're not coming into this room. So some of the nursing homes, while they have visitors, they're not even allowing people sit in the same room as each other. And those that are allowing them to sit in the, in the same room, they're limited. You're only allowed to sit there for half an hour. You have to have your, your temperature checked and you won't be allowed to hug or kiss or hold the hand of the loved one you're going in to visit. You will be two metres apart. So I suppose they're doing the best that they, that they can. So I don't know. Are you suggesting that everyone coming to visit would need to be tested? I don't think at the moment that's practical. Not unless we, had, we could be getting test results uh, in a couple of hours. But I understand where you're coming from on behalf of, of your mum uh, to ask everybody working in a nursing home to be tested every week when it isn't a simple procedure of a test. You know, if it was a simple little, you know, prick of your finger, a little blood test, you know, like they do when, when they check your blood sugars. I think people would say, oh, yeah, that's so fine. That's fine. But it just it doesn't it seems to be a rather uncomfortable test so yeah I, I know I know where you're coming from but fair dues pass on our best wishes to your mum and, and everybody working in the nursing home where she works and uh, tell her well done well done for the fantastic work that she is uh, doing now we've been contacted by Bridget who contacted us yesterday my apologies Bridget and I actually have an email on this I won't get to the email though now but let me just get to Bridget's uh, comment uh, Bridget says hi I am the mother of a special needs adult who has received absolutely no care or service now for over three months. I still have to work and I still have to look after my son and I'm doing it with very little help. People and teachers won't go into schools, yet look at the massive queues we had last week for pennies with no social distancing, everybody queuing up for a bargain. I'm a healthcare worker. I have no choice. I have to go to work. I have to wear masks uh, and I have to do uh, the jobs that I'm asked to do. There's no social distancing when you have to shower somebody etc. Why is it okay for us to put our lives at risk? I'm terrified of bringing the virus home to my son and yet there are people out there queuing at five in the morning for a new pair of pyjamas really? I've actually emailed Leo Varadkar about this. There's nothing out there to help adults with disabilities at the moment. I am really struggling. I don't want to have to give up my job and there are teachers out there that won't teach children. Common sense is a great great uh, thing. Yet another other person highlighting that issue that doesn't seem to get a lot of attention the whole issue of families with special needs children and special needs adults who really seem to be the forgotten people in our society. 1850 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 an experienced retail assistant required for a busy service station that's on the Bandon Road in Bishopstown while a CE, CE Tree Services they're looking for a chainsaw operative with own transport it's for work in Cork City and West Cork areas staff are wanted for immediate start at E&R Blinds Factory that's in McCroom and welders are wanted with their own plant for work in the Enniskeen area and a carpenter also required for shuttering and groundwork. So you'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Record today on C103. Call Patricia.
Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, people already in a difficult situation before the COVID-19 crisis will be hit hardest. And unlike the financial crisis of 2008, Social Justice Ireland say they must be protected as part of the recovery. Father Sean Healy, Director of Social Justice Ireland, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Father Sean. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Now, your latest report is looking at poverty right across Europe, not just here in Ireland. The figures make for shocking reading, don't they? They really do, and not alone that, but they, they make for shocking reading, even more shocking reading when you compare the situation with 10 years ago and just see where we've gone despite the decade we've just lived through. Uh, the, if you look at it this way, uh, 10 years ago, uh, just as we were getting into the bailout and we were in the direst of troubles, and a lot of Europe was in a similar situation, there were 80 million people living in poverty in the European Union. And not alone that, but the European Union put a 10-year strategy into into place uh, to actually, it's called the, the Strategy 2020, and it was to reduce that 80 million by 20 million, so to bring it down to 60. Instead of that, what's actually happened is not that they have reduced it, they didn't reduce it at all, it's actually risen by 6 million. So uh, we now have 86 million people living in poverty in the European Union. And that's the kind of, uh, that's not an accident. That's the result of policies put in place or a failure to put other policies in place that should have been put there to actually deal with the poverty reality. And not alone that, of the the 86 million, 19 million of those uh, people living in poverty are children. And that that's gives you and, an idea and of the, the story. The working poor, which you and I have often discussed on on this program, uh, is 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 highlighted. Is this further evidence of the need for a living wage? It is, of course. Yes, there should be uh, absolute uh, focus now on ensuring that the minimum wage is the living wage. The living wage is calculated on the basic basket of goods that's required as essential um, for people to live life with the basics that they require. Uh, now. In Ireland, that work on that area is done by principally by the uh, Vincentian Partnership for Social Justice. And then there's a group of six, seven organizations, uh, of which Social Justice Ireland is one, that calculate the living wage every year based on that very scientific study. Okay, that the same is done in other countries. That uh, there, a lot of the other countries have these kinds of basket of goods approach that shows exactly the cost of. Uh, buying the essentials that people need uh, to have uh, the basics that are required to live life. In Ireland, uh, we're two euro an hour short of what the living wage should actually be. Uh, and I think we've, we've, we see some, there is commitment now in the Programme for Government published yesterday that they would move towards it. I would have thought that over a five-year period we should actually reach it and uh, that we should reach the the, um, the 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 living wage as the minimum wage in other words bring that bring that up there there's also the other thing of course that uh, 10 years ago uh, 12, 10 or 12 years ago after the crash of 2008 uh, uh, the european commission but particularly driven by the german view of the world uh, basically insisted that everybody had to go into austerity and cut their expenditure and cut and cut and cut until we had balanced our budget uh, what that did, in effect, uh, was that it damaged seriously damaged countries like Ireland because we lost a lot more jobs than we should have lost or needed to lose to bring ourselves into balance. 
that now is accepted, maybe not so much by the European Commission, but certainly by the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, uh, who were the other kind of key driving force along with the European Central Bank in the Troika that used to come and mm. monitor the, 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 the implementation of our bailout plan. Now, the, what we are very strongly arguing now is that we've got to be very careful after COVID-19 that we don't make the same mistake that we made 10 years ago and basically go into an austerity situation. That would only make a bad situation worse. What we need is basically to set a different kind of a target uh, and put in huge investment. What What's required is that we ask ourselves when we're planning next year's budget, um, what uh, do we need to do to increase employment in to to a level that's that that we need to increase it towards, and what initiatives do we then need to take to ensure uh, that they that that we reach that target, and then how do we like can we get the money to pay for that? And I think that basically, if you take that view for the next few years, maybe another couple of budgets on top of 2020, we're going to wind up uh, running the budget in the red, quite seriously in the red. Um, but I think what we have to do then is park that amount of money uh, and park that debt and get a special loan at a low interest rate that we pay over a much longer period of time we pay back. Uh, and then that allows us to actually go and do the investment that's required to look after the jobs, look after the services, provide the childcare, for example, provide the rural broadband, provide the public transport, uh, etc. that we need to sort of make um, the, 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 to make the economy thrive and to ensure that we have decent services and infrastructure. And to do that then, you need just taxation as well. You need everybody paying their fair share of taxes. And in in that context, the the problem is not with people paying PAYE. The problem is with the corporate sector, but the top end of it, not the small and medium enterprises, they're all paying their 12.5% that they have to pay. It's the very top end of it, uh, with the top uh, sort of 10 or thereabouts of, of the, the big, biggest players in the world who are here and are paying very little, very small proportions, like one or two percent of the, all their profits. So they get to, they get to keep ninety eight or ninety nine percent of their yeah, profits. That's just so and unfair. In, in some cases, get to keep a hundred percent of yeah, their profits. And that's actually. that's when you talk about just uh, taxation. Correct. When you look at the figures, and and you've touched on with the uh, the children, um, Father Sean. I mean, the long term effects of childhood poverty is devastating because we all know, I mean, maybe we know better now than we did 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, What happens to a child in those early years is critically important for the shape of that person's life, that child's life, for the rest of their life. Because in a way, they're basically learning how to deal with the world. They're learning how to cope with the reality that's there. They're learning to experience the world, and they experience it in a positive or negative way or whatever, uh, threatening or supportive kind of environments and all that sort of stuff. If they're living in poverty, their experience of life is negative, and they will basically be trying to cope with that and deal with it and so on. But the problem is they then get into this kind of learned activity that they carry forward into the rest of their lives. And very subconsciously, they're not doing this deliberately or whatever, but um, what happens in effect is that the way they react to the rest of their lives, the way they, uh, the, what their potential is in the sense of the, the types of uh, development that they can become involved in, the levels of education that they achieve, the levels of income that they, that they achieve, the levels of well-being that they achieve, are all affected by those early years. Stressful. 
Stress, stressful. And, and, and your report is called A Rising Tide Failing to Lift All Boats. I mean, your, your message, not just to the Irish government, but to the EU is this time, they need to get it right and they need to lift all those boats. That's right. And they're moving it. And it's doable. It is doable. And I think they themselves are beginning to move in that direction. They, the European Commission and the European Central Bank have made quite a lot of money available. But it's all relatively low, small level, because like they talk about uh, 1.3 trillion euro available. But of all of that, Ireland will get maybe 2 billion. Now, 2 billion is, is good money, but it's not nearly enough. We're, we're like we're already uh, overrunning this year's budget by somewhere in the region of 20 plus billion. Mm. Uh, we could well run to 30. In the next couple of years, we're probably going to add another 10 or more to that. So you're talking about 40 billion. Now, we talk about these numbers that trip off the tongue, but they're know, massive numbers. But if we were to deal with this wrongly, we could wind up in an awful situation. What we need to do is ring fence that money, put it on the side, uh, borrowed to deal with it. We can borrow at very low interest rates now, pay it back over a very long time. I'm talking 50 plus years more. Do remember the British, uh, after the First World War, they borrowed to pay off their debts and uh, the, the, the war debt, okay? Yeah. But it took them 90 yeah. years yeah. to pay it all off. You know? Yeah, but it was the right way to do it. It was the it was, right it way was to the do right. it. And wh- what are your, your thoughts on the programme for government and what's coming out so far? I mean, there's a lot of detail there. What worries me is there's no costing. They're not saying how they're going to pay for it. But wh- what's your overall view at the moment? I wouldn't be too worried about the costing issue okay. uh, because I think if they were doing that, they'd only be guessing. Okay. Uh, and uh, like they'd be only wasting our time and their own time because people don't know what things are going to cost. We don't know what the situation is going to be like, really. Uh, COVID is a very unsure situation going forward. And the earlier conversation we were having needs to, like, needs to kick in there. How you deal with that in shows uh, will decide how you, you get a po- what your, the shape of your post-COVID world is. However... Uh, in the overall, like it's dealing with a lot of issues, and that's good. But uh, and there, there, some of those are, are, are good. Good targets are set in areas like housing, for example, um, and uh, there, there are huge improvements on on um, where things have been. Uh, they mightn't have reached the levels that we were urging them to do, but they were certain. They've certainly gone gone a fair distance down the road. Um, like. Likewise, I suppose there, there are other issues there. That are, but I would be disappointed enough uh, that there isn't a programme to tackle poverty, for example. Mm. Um, and um, there's also, uh, I, I mean, I, ha- I haven't had time to read the whole thing yet. I'm going through it almost line by line. And okay. it's a very long document. But but I'll tell you one thing. Uh, there's, there's I've come across one or two examples in there where the people who were writing it didn't know what they were talking about. And I, let me let me put this example to you now. This is a tough thing to say, but they have a thing there about public participation networks. Yeah. And what needs to then they're going to review them for a particular purpose. And all the negotiators who clear that from all three parties in what they're talking about clearly don't know what the PPN is. And it's a, a, like a, a really, really bad example of people not getting enough paying enough attention or getting people who know something about these things to pay the attention. I would be very, very disappointed. Now I presume that that can be rectified because okay. it is obviously 
just plain wrong. They're, what they're doing is they're going to review it from the point of view of uh, stuff around climate and stuff, which the PPN has nothing to do with. The PPN is about uh, representation and participation of local organisations, and it's doing a good job across the country in this, and um, some better than others in different counties, but it's like there's 16,000 plus organisations signed up to it now uh, in, in all 31 local authorities throughout the country, and I mean, it's just doing a very, very good job as I say in some areas and it's doing a good relatively good job in other areas but the, the, the reality is uh, that it, it, the people who were writing about it in the programme for government simply didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> Alright, on that positive <laughs> note we leave it Father Sean we'll okay, talk again. Position. Take care, you look Thank after you. yourself. Thank bye bye, that is Father uh, Sean Healy, uh, Director with Social Justice Ireland. 1850 three 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 one zero three. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 Now can talk is a cancer support group based in Mallow supporting adults affected by diagnosis of cancer and the group has been meeting since February of 2015 to discuss how their services changed due to COVID-19. I'm joined by chairperson and founder of Can Talk and that's ja- Jacqueline uh, uh, Jeffers. Good morning to Jacqueline. Good morning Patricia. Uh, and well I'm very well and, and you're welcome. I suppose start by reminding us how your support group actually works. Um, how our support group works up until now we've been doing face-to-face support meetings for anybody, any adults who's been affected by cancer in any way, and we've been doing those in Mallow from Lakela. We were due to open a new group in Fomoy, so we would have had Fomoy and Mallow running, um, but then with the onset of COVID and the closure, we had literally got into the first week of training the uh, new group of volunteers. How disappointing. I know. How it's disappointing. So enthusiastic to get it going, and everybody who's volunteered is really sort of, you know, they would jumping at the bit to get going with us. It's such a shame. So we've been trying to find a way forward in order that we don't lose the service completely. And they're, they're community group meetings and it's, yeah. a, it's a different group every week. It is, yes. Yeah. So the first, always the first, first. well, in Mallow, what we had was the first Friday of every month was for any adult affected, um, diagnosed with cancer at any stage of diagnosis. And okay. then the second Friday of every month was for carers, parents, partners, anybody supporting somebody on their cancer journey. Then the third Friday of the month was for anyone bereaved through cancer. And then the fourth Friday was we we hold a mindfulness group. So anybody from any of the other three groups or anyone who doesn't want to go to those three groups or wants to come to the mindfulness, that was open for so, you know, any adult to attend for yeah. there. And we rotate those on, on a monthly basis so that everybody has an opportunity to come at least twice a month. So it's a, so everyone has their own little, it's almost like a safe space as well because you're with people, uh, Jacqueline, who uh, either is wearing the very same T-shirt as you or has worn that T-shirt at some stage. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So everybody understands each other's journeys. And it is just a safe place to be able to talk without judgment, um, to be able to share, to leave your world behind just for a little bit of time and have some downtime just for you. And literally, is that what it is? It's people just sharing their own thoughts? Yes, yeah, yeah, and supporting each other and finding their way through their journeys. Um, I suppose research shows that it's hugely validating for people on difficult journeys to be able to share some of that load with other people who understand because yeah. it takes away the notion of judgment. 
And and I know because I've spoken with you actually live when we were able to bring you live here to the studio, which we can't do at the moment either. But um, I remember when you, you set up this group following the death of your own uh, husband, Bill, um, who sadly died for, uh, from cancer. There was nowhere to go to talk to people. There wasn't. Yeah. No. You could go to Cork, to our house, and that was great. Um, but to go to Cork meant three hours out of your day when you... You know, you needed you needed to be at home, or like that, you had other obligations. Um, there was there really was nothing in Mallow other than attending for private counselling, which is perfect too. But there's a huge value in support groups, in people being together, sharing a shared experience, mm. and understanding each other's journeys again without judgment. So, in an ideal world, Jacqueline, you would have can talk groups in every town in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. It would be really helpful. Um, it would be fantastic. So yeah. obviously COVID-19 kicked in with its restrictions. So was that, what, the end of all of your group meetings? It did, yeah. We literally had to bring them to an end because the, fir- like the first two groups, so the first and the second um, weeks of the month, those groups would have belonged to Kakunas, so there is no way that they could have attended or can attend at the minute. The bereavement group, um, because of... of um, social distancing, it, it just isn't possible to continue with the other two groups for the moment. Um, so I suppose going forward, we would be hopeful that we would be able to open it up in the same way as we were, but um, it would be a long time before the cocooners would be able to attend. Yeah, yeah. So you've decided to take your support group online next month. We have. Tell me, tell me your plans. Oh, the plan. It's taken a little while to come to fruition because like that we had to check with, that we can do it firstly and we looked at other bodies who've started to do it. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to continue training the new volunteers from Fomoy okay. um, and we're retaining the, the Mallow volunteers and we'll bring them all together. Um most of them are really happy. There are one or two who wouldn't be very good with computers, so they're going to sort of sideline it just until we're back face-to-face. Um, so we're going to continue with the training with the FMOI group online with Zoom from um, Thursday evening of this week. So they'll have their three weeks of training to complete. We did one week with them. And then we're going to start with groups online from the 7th of July. Um, so we're going to use Zoom because that's considered to be one of the, the most secure encrypted um, methods of being able to hold group sessions. Um, so we'll use Zoom and we have had to bring on board a couple of more volunteers who would be a little bit more tech savvy mm. to be able to moderate the, the, the meetings so that we don't run into difficulties. So it's a little bit of a different format and I suppose it's new to all of us, but we're having to adapt and change and move forward. Um, so what we want is just to get the word out there so that people know that they can access us. And um, again, I mean, you know, I think Zoom has, we, Zoom has become part of all of our lives and yeah. we we had never even heard of it yeah. uh, before COVID-19. But, you know, Zoom, when I saw what you were planning to do, I was thinking this is going to work perfectly because Zoom is all about, I mean, OK, you're going to be sitting in the comfort and safety of your, your own home looking at a screen, but you're going to be seeing the faces of the other members, the other people. And it's all about talking. So it's, 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 going, it's going to work um, ideally for you. So how can people contact you? Um, how they can contact is they can either ring um, the phone number, which is 089-239-0863, or the website. We have um, an application form to be able to join the groups because like that, for Zoom, we need to be able to access email addresses. So there's a, a form specifically if they go into the first page of the website, there's a little banner on how to access or join the groups. And all they have to do is put in their details, which is name and address, um, their email address and their phone number. And then we'll 
be able to add them to the Zoom list for each week and send them out a link so that they can join in. For GDPR, we do get rid of that information at the end of each and every session. So people need to just re, um, rejoin for each group that they want to join in. Or we have a... a we have a, an, uh, an opportunity on there that they can tick for two groups. So say if they want to join in group two and do the mindfulness, they can actually tick both of those. Okay, so you're going to do the mindfulness as well? We are. Well, yeah, well done. Yeah, well yeah. done. Well yeah, done. We found that that can actually work yeah. um, quite well. Again, it, it's about people having a little bit of space in their own own place. Yeah. But if the value of the mindfulness means it's, it sometimes gives people an opportunity to enter into the other groups feeling maybe less insecure about having to talk first off. So what we found is some people will come for the mindfulness. They'll like it, settle in with the people who are there and then they, they break off into the smaller Brilliant. groups afterwards. Brilliant. Brilliant. And mindfulness, God knows, Jacqueline, it's needed now more than ever. It is. People are really struggling mm. with everything. You know, lockdown, isolation, as well as fear around what could happen and what will happen. So, yeah, we just yeah. need a little bit of time out for and, a while. And I think for anyone um, on a cancer journey in the middle of a pandemic, my God. It must be horrendous. Oh, just, yeah. you know, I mean, because it was all those, I, I think it's, it's, it's eased up a little bit, but it was all that fear factor of being anywhere near a hospital in the early stages and people with, you know, a cancer diagnosis or in under treatment had no choice but to go to hospitals yeah. and they were just, yeah, it was t- it's tough. It's just it's, tough. It's really, really yeah, tough and yeah. families having to take them and then worried about if they cut something, you know, even, even sort of external families worried in case they bring something into that person. So, you know, if, if someone's going out to get the shopping, are they, you know, the, the guilt of, okay, but if they got COVID and they're already on their cancer journey, I've given it to them. Oh, so it's huge. <laughs> Yeah. Huge, really. Okay, and actually, I should have mentioned as well. I mean, you you don't charge for any no. of your, of your your community group meetings. No. Uh, how no. do you fund Can Talk? We fundraise. Um, okay. All of the volunteers also fundraise, which is great. They're they're a really good bunch of people. So we rely solely on 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 fundraising. We don't get any um, HSE grants or funding from the government. Um, but what we do find is that people are actually very generous. We've had to cancel two fundraising events. We normally hold a, a bucket collection in and around April. And we last year we, hold, we hosted a um, concert in St. James's Church in Mallow that was really well attended. Um, we had another one arranged for this year because we want to try and make that annually, but we, again, had to cancel it because it fell on the middle of March, so literally just the other side of COVID. Um, so fundraising is we haven't been able to fundraise events and we're not sure going forward how difficult it will be to fundraise online because like that you can't have concerts and things but we have enough funds from last year to keep, keep going. going for okay. the time being and we'll think about that as we move forward absolutely and this i guess i keep saying to everyone this 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 too will pass and we will get back to some kind of a normality uh, listen uh, jacqueline great uh, chatting uh, to you i met you and your, your gorgeous daughter at the cork volunteer of the year awards of course where you both picked up um awards uh, how are you all doing how is lockdown how is it all how are you coping with it all Everyone's good, thank yeah. God. I think any day where we haven't got COVID symptoms is a really good day yeah. and be grateful for it. It's just, it's a very different world. And I suppose the younger people are struggling a lot because they need their friends and that social outlet is is gone. But look, it, it'll it'll pick up. We'll have a new normal and we the will. new normal will be fine. We, we will. just get used to it. We will. It's 
good. Did we ever think we'd be queuing outside a supermarket to get in and buy our toilet <laughs> rolls? So we never thought that day would come. Listen, you look after yourself. It was a pleasure as always to talk to Thank you, Jacqueline. So much. Thank you for Thank that. You for the time. We're really great. No problem. Our Take pleasure. Care. Take care. Bye bye. Well. Uh, Jacqueline Jeffers there of Can Talk, which is a wonderful organisation, a Mallow based cancer support service going online. If you're interested in that, 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. I have to say, I was so, so saddened to hear the news early this morning and then I, I see it's been picked up by Barry on the news there at 12 o'clock that uh, Dylan's uh, restaurant in Timaleague is to close. We are just losing too many of these gorgeous, gorgeous uh, establishments. I mean, at the start of the year, even before COVID-19 kicked in, we had the closure of uh, Richie's restaurant in Clonakilty. We also had a Rundles by the Pier in Ahakista uh, closing down and that they came after the, the news at the end of uh, last year of DC's restaurant in Ring uh, closing its doors for the last time on uh, New Year's Eve and uh, I have to say DC's restaurant in Ring totally broke my heart I think some of the best vegetarian meals I've ever had I had at DC's restaurant uh, in Ring and then to hear today that uh, Dylan's in Timaleague just hope that the you know the new government when we're talking about government formation and all of that those small little restaurants are the ones that and those small businesses are the ones that we need to be looking after and they need to be given all the support that they can uh, to keep going and uh, Dylan's in Timaleague I'm, I'm assuming with everything that's going on with COVID-19 um, they're they're already down money you know that they've been closed for the last uh, three months but with the what the two metre social distancing some of those small restaurants literally just they just can't open their doors they just will not be financially viable so it's with great sadness that I hear the news of yet another one of uh, the popular restaurants in West Cork uh, closing it has to stop it really does 1850 at 333103 staying with COVID-19 when we were talking about the testing in the in the last hour and for anyone who's been through the testing it seems to be quite a severe test the fact that the swab has to be pushed so far down your throat but it's the one up the nose certainly is the one if I ever God forbid have to be tested for COVID-19 is the one that I'll dread the most but anyway uh, please God that will never happen Um, but uh, interesting point in from John in Blackpool he said just thinking about it if you spit on somebody, you can pass the virus on and, and we know that and that's why the Gardaí wear those spit guards, you know, the plastic shields across their face to stop somebody spitting at them. So John's wondering, why can't a person spit into a container and why can't they test the spit to see if you have the virus? Why do they have to, yeah, they have to go through the uh, swabs? Which is a good point. I suppose it would have to be tested instantly to get a result in order for the virus because yes the virus absolutely can be transmitted in, in a spit but it's how long it stays alive in it I'm assuming I mean I'm, I'm no scientist but if there's anybody <laughs> any expert on testing I'm assuming that could be the reason I did see a piece in Singapore when Singapore started to reopen and were allowing people from Singapore to come back into the country they were you know only they were only opening up to repatriate people I saw a piece of a girl who arrived from a plane in Singapore she kind of did a little video blog of it where she was literally taken from the plane 
put on put on a bus, as was everybody on the plane, and then they were taken to this holding area. I think it was somewhere in the airport, like a big hangar, and they were all like in little individual pods. And everybody, she, she was put into one of those, and she was given a little cup that she had to spit into. And they took a saliva test from her, and then she had to remain sitting in this little pod area. They gave her a sandwich, I remember, and a bottle of water, and she had to wait for. I think it was about six hours. And then they came back and said, "Yeah, you're COVID free," and she was allowed to to go. She was had to give the address of where she was staying. I think she was going to be tested again in in twelve days' time just to make sure that uh, she didn't have it. But uh, but it was done through. It certainly was done from saliva in that particular test. But the test was instantly taken to a lab and tested. So I suppose in order for it to work, it's got to be an instant test. And I don't think we have those testing facilities here. But yes, uh, John, it would certainly make testing much, much easier. Uh, Thank you for your text. And then another listener says, today there are two new cases of uh, COVID in New Zealand traced to two British women who flew in. Please be... Please, God, we need to control our borders and enforce quarantine, especially of UK visitors. The UK government have not got a handle on COVID-19. I am more worried, says this texter, of catching it from a UK visitor than I am from a hundred Irish people. And I'm wondering, are others feeling the same about it? I passed last week, I passed a camper van with uh, English number plates on it, pulled in at a garage and it was a mother, a father and a teenage daughter uh, got off and they and they were English because I know the last time we spoke about camper vans, we had people saying I own a camper van I take it out for a drive every week, I'm not touring around uh, the country. But it did strike me that these were very obviously holiday makers who had arrived or I don't know how long they, they had been here and I wondered how other people felt about having people travelling from the UK. When you look at the figures, when you look at the numbers now I know they're coming down but they're still unbelievably high, the number of people who have COVID-19 in the UK and the number of deaths, they've some of the highest number of deaths in the world and, and I'm wondering are people worried about that but New Zealand was a big big shock this morning when the news broke from New Zealand because New Zealand have been the poster boy really of all of the countries for how to handle COVID-19 the way they locked the country down and they are the one of the I think the first country along with Fiji uh, who are COVID free and they are back to complete normality there was rugby match at the weekend and everybody was in the terraces everybody was there nightclubs have opened bars have opened they've stopped social distancing everything is just back to normal so I kind of got a shock this morning when I heard that there were two cases of two cases confirmed uh, in New Zealand so uh, and that listener thank you to, for bringing it to my attention again that the the two cases it's the they're, they're the first new cases of coronavirus in almost a month and the, the listener is right there were two recent arrivals from Britain who tested po- positive they have New Zealand were have only recorded 22 deaths among a population of 5 million. That's why when we look at similar population to us, people say, why why do we have so many deaths compared to uh, New Zealand? And la- it was last week they said they were now uh, COVID-19 free. And then we have these two cases today. OK, one of the two women who travelled from Britain via Doha and Brisbane showed mild symptoms after landing at Auckland Airport on the 7th of uh, June. So it was last week. But her symptoms uh, were... D- were put down to a pre-existing condition. The pair were allowed to leave. They were put into two-week isolation, which is what 
people in New Zealand have been asked to do. So they were put into this two-week isolation from the 7th of June, but on the 13th of June they pleaded on compassionate grounds because the reason that they had flown to New Zealand was they had a relative who was terminally ill and didn't have long to live. And the relative was living in Wellington. So they pleaded on on the... They didn't have any symptoms at this stage. The mild symptoms that obviously disappeared that the woman had on on the 7th and they said, look, please, you know, we've been here now for nearly a week. Can you let us come out of isolation early because the person we've come to see doesn't have long left. So on compassionate grounds, they were allowed to drive by car to Wellington. Now, they didn't make contact with anyone on the way. But when they, after arriving in Wellington, it was then that they tested positive. Now, they've since gone into isolation along with the only relative that they had contact with when they arrived into Wellington. And because they've been in isolation in Brisbane, they haven't been in contact with anybody else. Now, immediately, officials have started tracing anyone who came into contact with the uh, pair. They're... The officials in New Zealand, though, are not fearful that cases could lead to a fresh outbreak uh, because they were able to trace their movements and the fact that they got off the plane and went straight into uh, isolation. Obviously, they have to do contact tracing on the air crew and the passengers and anybody else at the airport who may have been close. So I don't think they're quite panicking uh, yet, but they want to hold on to that status of being COVID-19 free. So it looks like they're putting absolutely everything in place and all travellers coming into New Zealand. And there are very few people allowed into New Zealand. New Zealand have only opened their borders to people who are originally from New Zealand, Kiwis and their families. But they have been making exceptional circumstances for business people are on compassionate grounds. And that's how these two women for Britain were allowed in. It was done on compassionate grounds. But everybody travelling in has to do two weeks uh, mandatory uh, quarantine unless they're given special permission. And obviously on those grounds, you know, it was on compassionate grounds that they decided to leave uh, these two women uh, travel. It'll be interesting to see what will happen now going forward. But they certainly are on on top of it, but it, it, it certainly did come as a, as a bit of a shock to people, and um, and this and the listener who raised that is also saying Beijing in China also have new uh, coronavirus outbreaks. Part of the city is back into uh, lockdown, and China are blaming imported salmon for the spike in cases in Beijing. But they are saying that they are vowing that it won't become a second Wuhan. Officials have ramped up measures to contain the latest uh, outbreak. And when this outbreak came, when they got their first case, that had ended a 56-day of zero cases. It just shows you how contagious and how dangerous this coronavirus is. They've had 36 infections confirmed between Saturday and Sunday and the total number of cases are 79. That's out of a population, though, of uh, 20 million people. Now, it still is remaining unclear how people fell ill in Beijing. China had reported nearly no local transmissions in uh, recent weeks and they are now wondering if this infection was brought in by a traveller from abroad. And the officials are doing genetic sequencing on the people now that have tested positive and it's indicating that it was linked to a strain from Europe. So it does look like somebody brought it in from Europe. They're doing aggressive contact tracing to to find infected people and anyone who chopped or worked in this particular food market, which is the largest wholesale food market in Asia, in Asia and anyone who's been in contact with anybody there are all being tested. I mean, there's something like nearly 9,000 people had been uh, 
that they reckoned had been close or had some kind of contact with the people who have been identified and, and they've started testing them and already two thirds have come back uh, negative so they certainly are very much on top of it as well but yes it's absolutely worrying and I think it's worrying because it looks like both the Chinese case and now the case of New Zealand is all linked to travel and we have people already talking here about travelling overseas I mean somebody's saying um, we, we we're hearing from people here in Ireland who are going to travel to Spain and they're going to go on holidays how, how much madness is that do they not realise that there's a two week quarantine on their return uh, you might wish to remind listeners who are planning to go away and who will be bragging and putting pictures up on social media of their holidays in Spain that they're going to have to self-quarantine for two weeks I think though our self-quarantining in this country gets lifted sometime this month or early next month I'll have to throw a, a check on that but yes at the moment it is it is um there is self quarantine there is self isolation at the moment here in this country but it is isn't it still worrying about allowing people to come into this country or allowing us the Irish to travel out is it still too early do we still need to just lock the country down and everybody remain in place and and wait. But how long do we wait? Do we wait until we have a vaccine? And if we wait until we have a vaccine, we could be looking at uh, two years. Uh, 1850-333-103. Your thoughts are welcomed on that. And can I give a shout out to somebody who was on to us earlier who is urgently urgently looking for a teacher or an SNA who would be willing to provide July tuition for a boy with autism in the Riverstick Kinsale area. Uh, if you are available please it's July education it's two hours a day so it's ten hours a week for four weeks that's what you would be committing to uh, the person who sent this in is looking for someone to come forward please as soon as possible so that they can put everything in place 87 9825247 if you are a teacher and would be willing to do July education in the Riverstick Kinsale area RNSNA it would be great if we could get somebody to respond there 1850 333 103 Sadie and John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie now, Bandin Band The Shrugs. They have stayed connected with their musical friends during lockdown and they've compiled a series of music videos. The music videos are called The Covid Collection and it comprises of talented musicians from Ireland, the UK and Europe and you can view them on their Facebook page which is The Shrugs Band Cork. They have so four so far in the series and the latest one is a cover of Gilbert, uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan's Get Down. The Galtee Walking Aid of the MS Society, they're going virtual this year. You can find out more and check out a live stream on their Facebook page and it's down for Sunday the 21st of June and the usual cycle challenge for the Irish Hospice Foundation is taking a slightly different track this year due to the COVID-19 restrictions on travel they are calling on everyone to cycle 20 kilometres on the 20th of June and donate 20 euro any pedal power counts it can be a bicycle, an electric bike, a static bike, 
the choice is yours and they're suggesting that you might get 10 to 20 friends to sponsor you or to take up the challenge with you it's simple 20k 20 the June 2020 and that's all in aid of the Irish Hospice Foundation Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 Okay some of your texts coming in Heidi says Morning Patricia Good morning to you Heidi We get announcements today about a new government next day what will they be announcing higher taxation the way things are going with this pandemic many people will be out of jobs it is a joke the Greens going into government is a major problem for all of us just wait and see we will pay the price the Greens will be better working in India and China I'm assuming uh, Heidi means when it comes to climate uh, change and someone else on government formation is Dan in Black Rock who has a great memory he says when people are talking about Micheál Martin and that he will be the first Cork Taoiseach since Jack Lynch Dan remembers when Jack Lynch was in power and he says when Jack remember when Jack Lynch took the tax off cars and homes just to become Taoiseach and then the tax came back on again after the budget so for people just remember that and be careful of promises that are made over the next few weeks says Dan in Black Rock who's been very very cynical about it all Okay on other issues coming in Thomas says he was in lockdown since March the 17th so he went to Yall for a bit of a spin I don't know if this was at the weekend or not but it was his first day back out after lockdown and he said everyone was keeping their distance so there was good social distancing going on so he was very pleased with that but then he needed to use a public toilet he said none of them were working the toilets are self-cleaning so they're the super loose is it he said he ended up because he needed to use the bathroom he could not find a toilet anywhere he ended up having to leave y'all and he wasn't able to support the local businesses which was part of off his plan on his first day out after lockdown. How can we support local businesses when essentials like public toilets are not there? Could we look into it, uh, please? And I know that issue came up last week as well about people saying that they were out and about and that there wasn't many public toilets and it was causing huge problems for people. They were People when they were out shopping said a lot of the toilets were closed off in supermarkets, etc. But then we did get a number of people giving a shout out to various towns that they had been in where there was a toilet so you need to sort of do a look around uh, more than anything and to see if you can find a public toilet uh, to use and I mentioned restaurants that are closing because the sad news that Dylan's in Timalika had closed and I mentioned that one of the ones that uh, uh, closed was Arundel's in uh, Akista in Akista and somebody's back on to say Arundel's is back Oh, it's open again. It's got new people running it. So that's terrific to hear. Well done. Can we wish them uh, well? Hi, uh, Patricia. What about bingo? When you're talking about the social dancing and when will the social dancing come back? When are they ever going to bring back our bingo? I so miss the social outing of going to the bingo and the lovely tea and home baking that they serve at Cox's Hall in Dunmanway as part of the bingo. And bingo is one of the last things to come back. And and I think really you don't get, would you get 100 people max at a bingo? And I do think, you know, you could space everybody out. I do think bingo. And you are right, there's so many people missing out on the social aspects of their lives. And they're the simple ones, the things like the bingo. But it definitely at the moment is down as one of the last. I mean, there's the big push to get the hairdressers, even though that's gone all quiet, isn't it? With the formation of government talks kind of taking over. But there is a big push to try to get hairdressers 
back up and running and barbers or shops open and then the other big one is the social distancing for the hospitality to get it from two metres down to one metre. I haven't heard anybody pushing on behalf of the poor old bingo players. There's bingo players all over the country. You need to form a strong lobby group because definitely it's he who shouts loudest seems to be getting heard when it comes to decisions about changing how we come out of uh, lockdown. 1850 Hi Trish, there's another texture. Am I wrong in thinking that the virus is still out there or am I living in some kind of parallel universe? I just popped down to our local village shop, needed to get a few bits. No hand sanitising station that I could see. Luckily though I did have a little bottle in my pocket. I was the only one wearing a mask and I mean nobody was social distancing. How in God's name are we going to stop the spread of the virus if we don't cop on. In my bowl of bleachy water, I'm home now, in my bowl of bleachy water and I'm washing all of my purchases. I'm sticking to the rules even if nobody else is. So well done. See, that's the one thing I do, I I, I compliment you and say, well done to you. Look after yourself. You can't, there'll always be people out there who won't abide by the social distancing, who won't abide by the hand sanitising. So all we can do ourselves is stick to the rules, stick to what works for you. And, you know, I see, I, I hear you there washing down all your products. That was ruled out. They did come out and say you didn't need to do that. But if you feel more comfortable in washing down every single one of your purchases, then away with you. I'd say to people, do with what works for you. But look after yourself. And, and But you're right. Some people are getting very lax about it. There is certainly a complacency there amongst people. You, you can see it. But I think if the majority of us stick with the social distancing and the hand hygiene and the cough etiquette then we will you know get through this until there's a vaccine and then we'll all get out of it and we'll all return to normal. Joan on the testing for COVID-19 says I wonder if they could just do the throat test and would that suffice? The nose part is horrible says Joan I had it done uh, never again or please God never again uh, for you Joan as well. And someone else says Patricia is it true that everyone was to get a voucher to get us back out and shopping again? It's from a listener in Cork City don't we all deserve to get a voucher? to go shopping says this uh, listener um, it was suge- I, I, can't, I don't know who it was somebody had suggested it that wouldn't it be a great way to keep the economy up and running and get the economy going again wouldn't it be a great idea that other countries had have done it in the past where they've given money to certain individuals it's usually to people earning under a certain figure they'll give you know, a certain amount of money, be it in a voucher or money will be put into people's bank accounts and the idea is that you go out and you spend the money in your local community and it helps to boost the economy. So uh, it was it was never decided that the government were going to do it and I don't think with the amount of money that's been spent on COVID-19 at the moment they could afford uh, to do it. But certainly, yes, it was suggested that wouldn't it be nice, but no, there is no plan at the moment to give everybody a voucher to get people out spending, but it, but it would be lovely. Hi Patricia, Arundel's are not opening until the 29th of June obviously as per the government guidelines yes yeah, sorry yes of course it'll be the 29th of June and they'll open along with all the rest of the hospitality sector and we'll be fingers crossed for all of the hospitality sector and we will be hoping that everything goes according to plan I was in Garrettstown at the weekend says the texture and the toilets were absolutely horrific see that's what happens when they when the council 
do allow public toilets to remain open. That's what happens. You've got people going in and they just do not respect the toilets. And we wonder why so many public toilets uh, close. Wouldn't you love to know what their houses are like if they can go in and mess a public toilet uh, like that? Uh, 1850-333-103. Sadie and John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And just by the way, when we were talking about toilets and keeping toilets clean, somebody has sent me on a piece uh, because you know how Spain is opening up uh, post uh, COVID and trying to get their uh, tourism season underway. Somebody has sent me on a piece uh, from the Costa del Sol and what they're planning on doing to make it comfortable and safe. I mean, the, the, the big thing for holiday makers is to make sure if people decide to travel uh, to, to make it as safe as possible. So they're, they're installing UV lights. They know that UV kills uh, coronavirus. So you, ultraviolet lights are going to be used to keep beach goers safe, but they, they're going to put them on the beach how that's going to work but they're also putting UV lights they're installing them in the 28 toilets in Malaga's most popular beaches they'll automatically flush and disinfect the toilets as well Uh, so the theory being why can't we introduce something like that into this country for our public toilets and John from Mallow wants to know what is Michael O'Leary of Ryanair's argument for lifting the two week isolation for travel now when we hear of the new cases in New Zealand and tra- and China which have been linked to people coming overseas travellers bringing it in. Okay thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. Let me turn my attention to Joe Heffernan uh, who joins me. Good afternoon to you Joe. Good afternoon Patricia. And belated birthday greetings I'm told via John Paul who was in doing the Sunday show on Sunday he got a request and yeah. it, was, it was your birthday yeah it was 74 of the big ones well happy birthday Thank to you yeah, I, I take you couldn't go out and party obviously it's uh, birthdays are all a bit surreal they don't feel like birthdays uh, really we can't celebrate the way we normally do true absolutely um, yeah um, uh, with the new restrictions lifted now with the the, the county you know um, we did have um uh, son and daughter-in-law and um, at, at the proper distances we had uh, dinner and um, and they, they brought a few prezzies Great. and so, that was very nice. So, so you and, did uh, celebrate? Yeah, we did. Great. We did. Great. In, in, in a very, very, very muted way. But um, it was lovely to have someone call. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. here's and here's to many more. Thank okay, you. let's uh, take a look. Today we are continuing to help people survive uh, COVID uh, nineteen, mm. and and you make an interesting point um, in your piece to me today that I think with lockdown, and I think because it's a more relaxed pace of life, and every we've all slowed down, it's making us all reevaluate, isn't it? What's important in life, yeah. and what isn't so important. I, I think that's absolutely true. We have um, re-evaluated um, our priorities, maybe changed our perspective on life. God knows we've had to. Um, it's so different. Um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, I would have talked before with your good self about, like, um, you know, the priorities in life anyway. Um, you know, looking at a list that I had done and just looking at it from top to bottom. Um, I'm not saying now that it'd be, in fact, this wouldn't work out as kind of my own 
sense of one, two, three priorities. But just reading them down from the top on this, be happy family life, intimacy, friendship, good health, service to others, material success, career achievement, peace of mind, personal growth, spiritual awareness, creative expression, and dedication to a social cause. And, you know, it's just a list, but it does provide a template for having a think about these things. Yeah, and and, and I do think this time has forced people to do that in a way, haven't they? Yeah. So I think we've just got, we've more time, we certainly have more time in our hands and more time to sit at home. Indeed. And I was, you know, um, uh, just reflecting on that list now earlier. And, um, you know, I would have put down as number one, I mean, (coughs) excuse me, whether there was COVID or no COVID, I would have put down good health anyway. Because without that, I mean, you know, well, the old expression, your health is your wealth. But it's so true. I've been through a few health scares in my own life. And, um, you know, um, uh, whatever about one's job and one's, uh, whether it is a mortgage or whether it is um, whatever, um, you know, it all comes very much um, down the list of priorities when one is in hospital and maybe in a, in a, in a pretty serious um situation. Yeah, so and, that's, I, I, yeah. and that's why I think, you know, when people were complaining about the, you know, the restrictions that have been put in place and people were given out about it and, and, and whatever, it, it always struck me, you know, when when I would speak to people who had lost a loved one from, from COVID-19. I and mean, if we can all survive and get out of this pandemic that we're in with our own lives and the lives of those that we love and know, We'll be doing well, but 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 like we have to think of there are people who are losing loved ones, Absolutely. and and their priorities are very different today. Absolutely, absolutely, and under the circumstances, you know, a very very dear friend of mine now that I have known since school days, um, uh, his wife died um mm. uh, about uh, a fortnight ago, um, mm. and you know they were visiting and. It was, uh, it was all very, very peculiar. Um, you know, one visitor at a time. Um, I'm talking about um, uh, a hospice now. Yeah. And um, ah, it was all... It isn't, but actually, the funeral worked out. They, they, were, they were very, very pleased with the way it worked out. Neighbours came outside their doors yeah. along the route of the funeral. There was... Um, uh, a choir in the um, in the uh, car park uh, of the church. All social distancing. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And um, you know, they made the very, very, very best of of a bad situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's very, very trying, very trying. I mean, people at the moment. I think it's from today or was it yesterday that people can visit. Um, a loved one in a nursing home. Yeah, we were discussing it earlier this morning. Yeah, now that it's it's it isn't an open door policy. No. It's very it's very different. Yeah. But how wonderful to be able to see in the flesh. Yes, your loved one. Absolutely, absolutely. And so you know, 
we we realize um what's really really important in life um our health our loved ones again i'll quote that what i quoted there some weeks ago um i think i first heard it from um our parish priest here father jim Kennelly. um how little we realize how little we need how much we have and the value of human contact. What a wise man. What, yes. what a wise man. And I think we, we realise the things that we have taken for granted. I mean, I know your good self is a, a very keen golfer. Uh, when suddenly golf was taken away, golfers realised just how much they needed and wanted their, yeah. their round of golf. Yeah. My, my own sister lives very close to the beach in Waterford, but she was four and a half kilometres away from the beach, a beach that she walks every single day. And when they brought in the five kilometre rule, in fairness to her, she I said, Would you not you're only a half kilometre? She said, No, I'm I'm four I've I'm four and a half kilometres. It's under the five. I can't go to the beach. So she gave up going to the beach for that period of time. And then of course they lifted the five kilometres and she was back again at the beach. And she said her first day back walking the beach, she said it just filled her heart with joy and she never realised how much she appreciates living so close okay, to it. Yeah. And it's a simple... <laughs> I'm, it's a, I'm doing the statistics in my head. Yeah. My mathematics were never the best. But, it's but wouldn't st- she have been grand at four and a half? No, do you, do you remember when, when, when we weren't allowed... No, she was over by a half. She was over by... It must have been five and a half. Sorry, ah, she was, yeah. over, she okay. was over by, by 0.5 of a kilometre. She, yeah. was, she was over. No, I think it was when it was the two kilometres. That was it. It was when ah, it was the yeah. two kilometres. Yeah. She was yeah. four and a half kilometres okay. away and I was, you know, for God's sake. And she just she wouldn't. She said, no, I'm sticking to it everyone's been good yeah. about it you know but it was just the, the joy it brought her then and it was just a simple thing absolutely you know yeah and you know what I really 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 missed as well was the old bit of sport on the telly um, it was magic now last weekend we were able to watch a bit of golf um, from <laughs> yeah. USA yeah and um, the old premiership now is coming back um, I think this week um, the 17th I think and um, you know Again, now, um, maybe a lot of people would say, for God's sake, Joe, <laughs> where are your priorities? But no, that's going to be a bit of a lift. Yeah. And, um, you Can know, I've been say... looking forward to Liverpool lifting the cup, whether yeah. there's a, a crowd at the at the match, match. or not. Can I just say on the watching of the golf on, on TV, and of course there's no crowds, there's, yeah. no, there's nobody there. I, I, and I'm wondering, has anybody asked any of the golfers this, if, you know when somebody, when it's very close and they're coming to the end and there's mm. there's one on the 17th and then there's one on the 16th and, and they're very close and you'll hear a big, whoa! Yeah. Somebody, I wonder, that's gone obviously. And that's I'm, gone and, and that came just, up quite a lot. You're, you're very insightful um, uh, 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 on that because that did come up, that in fact people would know from the cheers yeah. and the um, the uh, hullabaloo uh, on another hole of the course, whether somebody was going well, and that that should be a kind of a hint. Another thing was that somebody would hit what they might consider to be, and what would be maybe a brilliant shot, met by silence. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a bit <laughs> a bit surreal. Yeah, yeah, but it's just I I wondered did the other players because the other players were oh they're after doing really well and could it throw somebody off you know but that's that's all that's all gone the, and the the footballers it must be really weird for the footballers yeah playing matches without without a crowd but yeah. you know listen it's 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 our new norm but as you say it's a small simple thing TV sports back on the TV 
And again, it's something for us all to appreciate. Absolutely. And it's a big thing, I think. Um, you know, it just takes us away from the uh, the, the the constant um, uh, news, news, news about COVID-19, COVID-19, that we can actually get truly interested in who's going to score the next goal kind of thing. Um, now, that might sound... Um, you know, uh, um, uh, not uh, not the most important issue in life, but ah, it's a bit of relief. And I think, like, after good health, I had down for myself for number two, like, peace of mind. Yeah. So I think that contributes to peace of mind yeah. because we've a distraction for some hour um, rather than constantly thinking about um, yes for masks, no for masks, when masks, when not masks, um, all of that uh, taking up our 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 thinking process uh, from one end of the week to the other. You know, it's a grand thing to be distracted, whether it's by going out to the garden and doing a bit of digging, or whether it's going for a little walk, or whether it's a film on the on the telly, um, or you know, whatever, to just get away from it for a little while. That it isn't our constant um you know whether we're going to bed or getting up that it's uh, all the time covid-19 um, yeah, yeah we yeah. we have twin boys now in cork and um they have stuck by the rules very diligently and um i'm hoping now well i'm not i'm more than hoping we will uh, either they'll travel down now or we'll go up soon um so i think the lifting of the restrictions um uh, in that way, has also given us great uh, relief. Um, uh, when when Mary was first hearing that she could go over to the Super Valley, we would swear she was after being told she was going on a on a cruise or something like that. <laughs> it was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. When well, the highlight of the week is the your trip. Highlight to, of the week is your trip going to the, the supermarket super for a liter of milk. Yeah, yeah. It's true. We all we we we're all looking and evaluating our our priorities, and hopefully, you know, we'll we'll we're all we're we're all learning. We're on a learning curve, and we'll all come out of it the other side better people. Please God, we'll all come out of it the other side, and uh, as you say, we we will maybe we will have an awful lot more appreciation for the things that maybe we took for granted. Okay. Listen, you look after yourself and and, uh, we'll talk again next week. Thanks for that, Joe. That is uh, Joe Heffernan who runs a counselling practice in Boho where he's back up and running. The counselling practice is back up uh, and operating as normal 029-766-17. Just a quick look at some texts that are coming in. Jane here in Ballylicky says the toilets in Cantark on Saturday were spotless. Well done. Staying on toilets. Somebody said, Lord preserve us with people giving out that there's no public conveniences. This uh, texter says, use your common sense. Um, if you need to hide behind a fur, furze bush, it's quite exhilarating, says this texter. Uh, you can always bring a bottle with you when you go out on your jaunts. A lot of us were raised with no indoor conveniences, says this uh, texter. Can't understand why people are giving out about no public toilets being uh, available. And someone else says, when I mentioned about restaurants, I was talking about the Rundles are going to open on the 29th. Uh, Patricia, is it only bar with the 
restaurants that are allowed to uh, open. Some people are of the opinion that all pubs will reopen on the 29th, but it's not. Pubs are still down for the 20th of July. Is that correct? Yes, it is correct. It's only pubs with restaurants, but they don't need to have a restaurant licence, Leo Varadkar came out, once they are serving food they will be allowed to open and it looks like a number of pubs are looking at doing that and looking at trying to serve food. Uh, so as of now, yes, all the restaurants, but you will see pubs who traditionally weren't restaurants, you'll see them starting to serve food for sure. OK, that's where I've got to leave it for today. My thanks to John Paul and to uh, Sadie for taking the calls today. We are back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Mark Malone is in for Nick Richards. Until tomorrow at 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Stay safe. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.